Welcome to the Conservation Today Show. We interview people about our environment in Douglas County, and I am your host, Francis Etherington. Today, we have the treat of speaking with three women who help organize the Glide Wildflower Show. So the three of you, why don't you each introduce yourself and and what you do. Hi, I'm Debbie Barbary. I collect, uh, put up banners in Glide and in in Roseburg, a little bit of everything. Thanks, Debbie. Hi, I'm Diane Muscarello. I am a collector, and I'm, I guess, the social media person. I'm the webmaster and Facebook organizer, and I'm on the council. Great. I'm Becky McRae. I'm the chairman of the council, and um, I'm in charge of the volunteers, the setup, the cleanup, the vasers, the greeters. Okay, well, thank you, Becky, Debbie, and Diane. Now, you three work on the Glide Wildflower Show. This show is a world-renowned annual show where hundreds of wildflowers and other plants are on display for our viewing, along with information on their names and location where they come from. And I understand it takes hundreds of volunteers each year to set it up. When is the show this year? The show is always the last full weekend in April. Uh, This year it's the 27th and the 28th of April, so um, we're open from 9 to 5 both days. Monday we do a kids' day for a couple of the grade school classes in the Glide School system. Well, I have to say I go every year. I look forward to it so much. It is one of my favorite things that happens in Douglas County, it is an amazing, amazing show at the uh, in Glide at the community center there. Correct. And uh, it is just you go in and it is just a, a, a sea of plants and beautiful vases. You have lichens, you have trees, and I just encourage everyone to go. It is really a, a beautiful, beautiful event. So, and how and it's free. It's, it is free. We do suggest a $3 donation. Right. But, yes, it is free. So tell me about a little bit about the history of the show. Um, how did it get started? Reggie Miller. Miller. Reggie Miller started way back when in 65, and she was trying to raise money for the Glide Community Club. They were needed funding. And so she started the Wildflower Show. And the first year she had like 25 plants or something. But everybody loved it so much, it started as a tradition. And it got bigger and bigger each successive year. You see, you have 71 specimens the first year, then 91, then 191. And just in a few years, your guests went from a few to 400. In 1968, you expanded to include the Siskiyou Mountains. Mm -hmm. Right. 
as we grew, we had more collectors, and they were expanding out into adjoining counties, and we went higher into the Cascades and all the way to the coast. So as our strength expanded, so did our number of species. And so then you have botanists that also um, volunteer? I think the thing that's interesting about the show, which still, still to this day always amazes me, is that, number one, it's in, it's in unincorporated Glide, Oregon. And then you have these people that volunteer. So I do a collection on Little River Road. I bring my plants in like everybody else does on Wednesday. And there, the botanists are volunteering from Oregon State, UCC, BLM, Forest Service... Have I missed? No, that... Well, yeah. and, and they all volunteer. So out of these 300 and some people that we have on our volunteer list, I don't even know who half of them are because they go out and they collect their routes, they bring their specimens in, and then they go back home. And then there's this little core group of people that I do know because they help set up the show. But to have all of these volunteers... They do it year after year after year. It's it still amazes me. And we're so lucky in Douglas County to have federal agencies here where we have our expert botanists that yeah. work at those agencies mm-hmm. and also at Umpqua Community College. So, yes, we do have a lot of botanists in the area, and those are so important. I imagine for the Glide Wildflower Show specifically. Yeah. One of the features of the show is that we go to extra effort to make sure every plant is positively ID'd. If there's any doubt or question, the botanists are sitting around with their microscopes, counting petals and stamens and to make sure that we have the exact name on each plant. <laughs> Great. Now, on the history of the Glide Wildflowers show, I understand Abby Russo was involved I have to say, Abby was a close friend of mine. She collected with me. Yes. Yeah. May she rest in peace. May she. Yeah. She uh, was a lichenologist. Yes. And uh, she found a bunch of rare lichens on BLM land, not too far from Glide. I'll be darned. It's well, as we as she and I would go up Little River Road. I would say, oh, there's a that could be a patch, and she would she would say, oh, but look at the lichen. You know, it's like Abby, <laughs> flowers, flowers. Ron will take care of the lichen. <laughs> I think one of the things that's really unique about this area here is we have so many different sort of ecosystems mm-hmm. in not only Douglas County but the counties next to us, including the coast. Curry and Coos County, and all the way up the Cascades, there is so much difference in the types of soils, and that affects the type of plants that grow. Uh, Different environments as far as temperature and so many other factors. And so the variety of life that is here is just so amazing. The, The wildflowers, the lichens, the mosses, the ferns, the trees... 
everything is very, very unique to this area. And we go all the way from the ocean to the crest of the Cascade. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that includes another mountain range, the mm-hmm. coastal mountain range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have the inland valleys with all our oak woodlands, mm-hmm. oak savanna habitat. And then we have old growth forests mm-hmm. further up in the hills. And I imagine that the variety of wildlife, of plant life at each elevation zone and ecosystem is tremendous. And that's all represented at the Glide Wildflower Show? That's mm-hmm. correct. We collect south of Eugene to the coast, down to Grass Valley, Grass Valley, Illinois Valley. Brings back my Central Oregon days. The, the, the exception to that, you said all of these are represented. We try to get bloomers. Right. Not all of them are blooming at the same time. Every year is different. This year we're having a Late spring, lots of snow, cold, rain. We've, you know, usually flood. Right. (laughs) So this year, some of those little guys may not be out yet. So we not, we may not be able to collect some of our usuals that come usually later. Some years it's drier and warmer, and we start collecting other things. And the then the other little one, the first ones we don't get. Mm-hmm. So there's a range there, and every year the show's just a little bit different. It's what Mother Nature gives us. It's mm-hmm. what we have at the show. We go with yes, it. Yes, we do. It can be unique. It can be. How long does it take to put a show together? We start, the physical part starts on uh, Tuesday at 1230, and um, we have a, a crew uh, volunteers, but we also are very lucky that we get the Job Corps forestry kids that come down and help do the heavy lifting. Oh, yes. And um, so the the actual tables and everything are moved from our building to the main building on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, everyone brings their specimens in, and um, then it just progresses so that by the time, hopefully, not any later than 5 o'clock on Friday. It's ready to go on Saturday morning. And on Saturday morning from 8 to 9 and Sunday morning from 8 to 9, there's an hour for photographers only so that if somebody wants to take pictures and not have crowds that they have to weave in and out with their nice big cameras, they can come and, and do it at that time. However, in addition to that, we actually start with our council meetings in October the previous year. Yes. So there's a long range there. A lot of planning. So it takes you eight months to pull a show together, huh? With, that. <laughs> With everything included. <laughs> <laughs> and so when do the collectors start to go out? Are they, and they've been out now. They, no. No, no they haven't it's been a little out early. Yet. It's a little early. Yeah, I, I collect on the coast from here to the coast and then down, and we do most of it. Uh, next weekend, the 20th, 21st, mm-hmm. I will go. The week before the show. Because we are doing this show, we are re- pre-recording the show on the 11th of April. So you haven't yet started no. to go out, but you will soon. Mm-hmm. So one full week before the show. The weekend before the weekend of the show is when I will collect with my group. And I will collect starting the Sunday before the show. I do the North Umpqua that whole valley and uh, so it takes three days to get the plants and bring them in on Wednesday Mm -hmm. 
and I'll do my route on Monday. Little River. Little River. How many collectors do you have? We have 23 routes. 23 routes. Well, 23 different routes. And so if you figure two, no fewer than two people on a route. And I, I know down the Illinois Valley in that area, they have more. So. Right. And all those collectors may have helpers with them. So there are a lot of people that actually have hands-on flowers. And we have a special way of, of picking them and preparing them and putting them in solution and then putting them in coolers with ice to keep them. Because my flowers that I collect on the coast have to make it all the way for a full week. We have uh, labels that uh, historically each route we've kept records of the plants that are collected there. So we can print off a set of labels. If you're going to this particular collection route, you will most probably find these 25 plants. You might not find them all, but you'll have a label for everyone that has historically been found there. So it makes the uh, process of identifying the plants once you bring them to the building easier because you've already got a scientific name and a common name attached to the specimen. And where they were collected. And Mm -hmm. where they were collected. And you've been doing this for 50 years. This mm-hmm. must be an incredible set of data. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Scientifically. And they're mm-hmm. keeping track, too. That right. We have people to keep track on computer where everything is, where the, how, when it was collected, when it was missed, when, you know, when they found it. And so there's, we can see some changes in that, too. Um, but also at the show, that everyone that's labeled uh, has a little map of Oregon, and it's shaded where they're found. Oh, yes, right, yes. And at the show itself, there's a map of Oregon. Actually, there's a, isn't it a dot mm-hmm. on the of, map? Of, mm-hmm. of each identified location that has been verified. Mm-hmm. And we get those maps from the Oregon Flora Project. So that is a highly reputable site, and it makes it easy for us to make sure that people know where the plants came from or where it's possible for them to be from. Right. And it's not just flowers. I mean, I know you said that it has to be blooming, but... Shrubs, grasses, trees... Ferns. Ferns. And then lichens, mosses. Mm -hmm. Lichens, mosses, anything a botanist would be interested in. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm is in there. I love the trees. And mm-hmm. Looking at all the cones you have for each tree, mm-hmm. it's very informative. How many years have you been doing this now? 54. 54. 54. And is there any original members of the group still in the group? Jeannie Moore. Jeannie is still in the group? Yep. And I wondered if they could tell the long-term members of the group how global warming might be impacting... Or maybe this is a much more recent thing, how global warming might be impacting where you're finding these flowers. From my route, my personal experience has been that plants that we used to collect blooming for the show, we now have to go to higher elevations. We go back in time. Indian plum is almost completely through blooming right now. 
at my level. And so we will go farther up into the Cascades and hopefully find some there. Right. That's, that's for my specimens, that's the, the path we have to go is higher up if the plants have already started blooming now, before the show. Right. And there's a, there's a plant that is on my route, um, a sunshine daisy that is no longer there. Wow. I mean, and hasn't been for the last couple of years. <gasps> and there used to be a whole bunch of it. Nothing's changed as far as where it was. The other plants that were there are still there. Uh, the ground hasn't changed, but... Something's changed. What do you think happened? I, I don't know. But all of a sudden, it was just it was missing one year. And we thought, well, because of that particular weather that year. But then the next year... It was still missing, and we haven't seen it. I don't think probably I've seen it in the last five years. I think there are plants. <clears throat> plants have a sensitivity, mm-hmm. different sensitivity levels, you know. And some some plants that were introduced, like the Himalayan blackberry, is has just taken over. So, you know, it's a real trooper. We don't really want that, but there it is. <laughs> um, but I think some of these plants are just a little bit more delicate and fragile mm-hmm. as far as their environmental needs, you know, as far as rain, temperature, maybe, you know, air pollution, smoke, whatever. So that that could enter into this too. Does a change in the number of pollinators, and I understand that we have reduced pollinators, reduced bee populations now, do you think that influences it? I, I, I am a beekeeper, and I, and I love the honeybees. The honeybees are really a small part of uh, pollinators. It really it's our wild bees that do it. And just in Douglas County, we have at least 200 species of wild bees. Most of those are pollinators. So I think it's really we depend on them. But the same thing that's affecting our honeybees that we keep in hives is affecting our wild bees. So as far as habitat, People can learn um, how they can do things differently in their yard for helping those wild bees and and solitary bees. But the honeybees, I think, is an indicator species as far as what's happening in our environment. And I'm also in the beekeeping club, and almost all of us lost most of our bees last winter, starting in the fall. And we're not really sure why. But there's many different factors that uh, are possibilities. And, and, you know, environmental changes, habitat, food for the bees, the things that we grow in our garden that are cultivars are not always really good for the bees. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of ugly flowers and little wildflowers and that, that they, you know, that they'll go for. So um, I think time will tell. And we can keep an eye on what the honeybees are doing, what's happening with them, and that will probably be affecting some of the wild bees too. Is it the? Is it? Is there a, a a lice or something happening to the bee? I think that bees might. have always had varroa mites, yeah. and Europe is really having a much more serious problem than we are here. But uh, I never treated my bees for varroa mite because. If one or two have them, it's like your dog has a couple of fleas, you know, you're not going to lather them up. So <laughs> you might <laughs> scrub your little bees. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
It's hard on the bees. It's hard on the bees. How do you kill an insect yeah. that's on an insect right. without killing the, the host insect. itself? Right. So that's kind of a rough. So you're always going to lose bees. So I chose not to do that. But well, we're going to talk more about the plants and how they're pollinated uh, when we return. We're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. We have been talking with Becky McRae, Debbie Barbray, and Diane Muscarello. 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 Okay, and this is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Francis Ellington, and we'll be right back from a break. We are back. This is Conservation Today. We're talking with Becky McRae, Debbie Barbray, and Diane Muscarello. Did I say that right? Mus. Muscarello. Okay. Now, we were talking about things that impacted your collection, uh, like uh, global warming, or I would say a little bit of climate change. What are the other things that sort of, that, that impact your collection? Forest fire definitely has had an impact on my collection route. Like I said, I do the North Umpqua, and the North Umpqua complex fire happened to devastate an area where I collect. We go up the Illahi, up by Illahi Flats, and then we go farther up the mountain there. And an example is silk tassel. That is a native plant that we collect there. Well, this past year we went up there and the manzanitas, the uh, silk tassel, a variety of other shrubby things have burned to the ground. They're not there, and that was our only location that we could find for silk tassel. Uh, So we will be broadening our search this year to see if we can find another road, another location where we can find it. Silk tassel, there is a coast variety that... ODOT seem to like, and they've planted it in a variety of locations, uh, one of which is the visitor center in Glide. So I can get the coast silk tassel if I, uh, well, I always do. But to get the other plant, I have to broaden my scope. So it's definitely impacted the collecting. So the forest fire, and we don't know what other plants forest fires might have wiped out of an area that maybe can't return. Will these plants return? Okay. Uh, the, the silk tassel, it might. I don't know how long the seeds live in the ground, this kind of thing. But uh, it was a pretty big shrub. I mean, we're talking like almost a small tree thing. But after the Williams Creek fire... Jeannie and Frank Moore invited us to go on their hill, and we were wandering around, and after the Williams Creek fire, there were more cat's ears that had popped out than Jeannie had ever Hmm. seen in her life, and she attributed it to the fact that there was not nearly as much competition, and the cat's ears were everywhere. Hmm. So... In a way, some things are helped by the forest uh, fires and others are not. I see. And so this year we aren't going to have a 
Cascade silk tassel at the show, but there might be a coastal silk tassel. And there I will definitely be a coastal silk tassel. I didn't really. Are they two separate species? Yes. I have a silk tassel on my property. Oh goodness! <laughs> but I live west of Roseburg. It will be a coastal silk tassel. Uh huh. And whenever I was at the Glide Wildflower Show and I saw a silk tassel and I put it in the Cascade Mountains, I said, no, no, there's some over here too. But now I realize, I didn't realize it was a separate species. Well, some areas do overlap. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it might be taking, worth taking a look at because, you know, this, the coastal silk tassel and the Cascade silk tassel probably Has have an area that they overlap. And you might be able to find both species in the same area. And, but they don't interbreed. So they're actually two separate species. Well, correct, they're two separate species. Whether species will interbreed, that remains to be seen. Some of them are genetically so close that they could and produce a hybrid. But there are a number of crosses that, in the show, for example, there's a manzanita, the hairy manzanita, and then there's a manzanita cross in there. A hoary. A hoary manzanita. A hoary manzanita. We get that off of our property. (laughs) So there's a hairy manzanita, a hoary manzanita, and a green manzanita. But the hoary and the hairy will interbreed, mm-hmm. but they not cross. the green. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't <laughs> know that. You have, how, how many species about do you have at the Glide Wildflower Show? Jeannie Moore always makes sure we have at least 600. There was one year that she counted, and we had like maybe 600. And it really bugged her that we only had. So she went out back of the Glide Wildflower Glide building, Found one we didn't have, dug it up, put it in a vase, so that by gum we would have more than 600, because we always said we did. A couple of years ago, when, as Debbie said, weather was different, we had over 700. Right. I mean, it was amazing how 723. many. 723. Something, yeah. It was, it was it the was biggest crazy. number. Yeah, it was. The biggest number yeah. ever. And that was because the spring came earlier? It was real dry that winter. It was one of those, like Debbie said, we had had specimens we hadn't had in the show in years. Wow. So Interesting. It's hard to identify what actually was the trigger for that phenomenal event. Right. It could have been a combination of a variety of things yeah. mm-hmm. that were just perfect. It was, yeah. Well, when I go in there, they all look freshly picked, like they were picked that I morning. I know. Isn't that amazing? How do you do that? How do we you have a solution that? called Floralife. Uh, to go back to some of the volunteers, uh, um, I've always said, and Debbie and Diane have heard me say this, as have the vasers, we have a group of women that vase that, that I think are the stars of the show. Because what they get is this skinny little or large something in a baggie in water that has a tag on it that says what it is. They go out and look through all the vases that we have to find the perfect jar, vase, little stone something. Dish. Dish. Bottle. Bottle that shows it off absolutely as it should be shown Mm -hmm. off in the wild. And how they do it, I have no idea, but boy, they do a great job. They have an artistic flair. They do. And they help make the show really sparkle the way it does. We also have another woman who is kind of like the EMT of Mm -hmm. flowers. 
I've brought in a fawn lily. It was beautiful when I picked it, but it looked really sad <laughs> when I brought it to the building. And Sandra said, let's go put it in hot water. I'm going, hot water? So we did, and within a matter of minutes, it perked up, and it was beautiful, and it lasted for the duration of the show. It's She has a knack for resurrecting mm-hmm. almost completely dead plants. She's, she's our plant doctor. She's the yeah. doctor. And so... Do the collectors themselves know the ID of the plants, or do they bring them in and let you ID them? Hopefully, they have ID'd in the field the majority of the plants they bring in. Sometimes they will bring in something. I've never seen this before, and it just looks so interesting, and they don't know what it is, and the other collectors there will either ID it Ultimately, the botanist will mm-hmm. give it its final name. Yes, the botanists are the final say-so on yeah. what that plant is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I imagine that mm-hmm. they have a lot of work to do, and these are all volunteers. Mm-hmm. And they work long hours. So so when the plants come in, and they, go, they have a label, and they go to the botanist, the botanist puts a red check on it if the label's correct, if it's not, they might write a, the correct la- name on it. From there, they go to the vasers, and they vase it. And when they are through vasing it, they get a colored dot on the label. And then that means it can go back out to its family, waiting for the final label to be put on. So there's a, a visual process that you can look at a plant and say okay that's been red checked and it's got a dot so it's it's ready to go and the tables are organized according to the family Correct. of plants mm-hmm. as part of an education process for the collectors if they bring in a plant with a pre-printed label that says it's abc and the botanist goes no it's def then that label is saved and it is given back to the collection leader for that route and said it was mislabeled. So you need to know that that's not what you thought it was. It is this. Mm-hmm. And that, and then the labels are changed so that next year it will have the appropriate label. So the, if we give enough feedback to the collectors, it helps them grow in their job. Mm-hmm. In the last several years, there have been some changes, and they have taken some plants that we thought, this is their name, this is the family they're in, and geneticists and botanists have said, no, they're over here in this family, we're going to change the name. DNA says. So, yeah, yeah, since DNA. So uh, it's changed a lot of things. We've had to relearn names, learn new names, but still remember what the old name was, for reference, well, the same and reprint plan. show yeah. labels, the the mm-hmm. ones that appear on the table. It's, it's not a mimulus. It is a mimulus. It's not a mimulus. <laughs> yeah. Can you give an example of a plant? Did you just give an example? The mimulus. Right. The mimulus, right. Yeah. The monkey flower. I mean, that's a simple one. But the the family changed and. Will always be a mimulus in my yeah, mind. It's a cute, and it's it's like, a cute little orchid-looking, bright yellow flower that blooms early and on a uh, wet rock mm-hmm. surface. Well, the show is more than just a collection of 
plants. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to do at the show. What are some of the activities that are there? Diane can talk about the wildflower walk. Okay. There's two of the collectors that we take people out on the Swiftwater Trail. That is old growth forest, and we go in ordinarily about a half a mile, and we walk as fast as we can answer the questions that everybody has. That one section of the trail, I think we have about 75 different plants that are in the show that are on that trail, on that portion of the trail. And it gets the number gets a little higher if you go all the way out to Fern Falls. But that's a mile and a half, so round trip is three miles. We don't take the whole group that way because people want to get back. They want to eat lunch. They haven't seen the rest of the show, so we don't uh, we let them leave anytime they want. And it's generally a very gentle trail, few ups and downs, but it's not it's steep. Not it's not yeah. steep. And this year it might be a little more difficult unless the Motley crew can get out there. There was a lot of wind throw, mm-hmm. snow throw, excuse me. Yeah, there are lots of trees mm-hmm. yeah. that are down. You're walking through treetops, limbs, and this kind of stuff. So It goes by Deadline Falls, too, doesn't it? Yes, it goes right by the side of mm-hmm. Deadline Falls. Mm-hmm. It's an exquisite walk because you're always by the river. Mm-hmm. and uh, It's beautiful. It's, it's mm-hmm. a wide variety of flowers. And, of course, there's the big trees. You have several different species of old-growth trees in there. The really nice thing about it is that people get to see those flowers that they see in the show and trees growing in their natural environment. And you have to get down on the ground and look underneath the leaves for some of them so people can get an appreciation for, you know, for all the different variety and where they grow, where they come from. And so this uh, wildflower walk is both days. Both days. Mm -hmm. I think it's at 11. Check the website. Yes. But other things that we have there, too, we have great people giving talks People that are, in, you know, from their area of expertise coming and telling us about, well, we've had uh, wild bees, for one. Uh, help me out. What are some of the other? Hang on, hang on. Okay. I need a list. <laughs> She's got a list. I need a list. <laughs> it, it changes every year, but we have um, somebody that comes, Rand Davidson, comes and talks about uh, medicinal plants and edible plants and how to prepare them for for your uh, needs. Well, medicinal plants are fascinating to to learn about medicinal plants. So there's actually a whole talk on medicinal plants, huh? Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And that's and the schedule for that would be on your website. That's or right. I can also, if you have a schedule, I can also put it in the podcast description to this talk. Okay. Right. Down there. right. It's in the it's in your list. Okay. So it, it changes from year to year, but... Uh, uh, rare and Unusual Plants of the North, Uncle by Richard okay. Hellowell. Oh, Rare and Unusual Plants. That one, then you don't collect those, do you? We don't collect rare rare plants. There's anything that's on the da- endangered and threatened list is not there, other than in the form of photographs. We have some pictures of many of those plants that will be on display. 
Uh-huh. And, and Richard will give a talk on that, so I imagine that'll be fascinating. It is. I want to go to that one. It was, and I think he's both days. I think he is. Yes, he's yeah. both days. It is uh, really good. 12 o'clock on Saturday and 2 o'clock on Sunday. Okay. The rare and unusual. We are going to take another break. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about the many events happening at the Glide Wildflower Show. We are talking with some of the show's organizers, Becky McRae, Debbie Barbre, and Diane Mascarello. This is Conservation Today, and we'll be right back. We're back with Conservation Today. This is Frances Etherington, and we are talking about events at the Glide Wildflower Show. This show will happen this year on April 27th and 28th. Don't miss it. Some of the organizers are with us here. We're talking with Becky McRae, Debbie Barbre, and Diane Mascarello. Now, besides wildflowers, uh, what else is there to see at the Glide Wildflower Show? We have well, we have one big white tent. All right. Mm-hmm. Debbie nicknamed Moby Dick, and in it are the noxious weeds display, and Chrissy Morgan does a good job with that. Um, our um, beekeepers, beekeepers, and mm-hmm. yarn spinning, yarn spinning, and and dyes. She uses natural. Right. She uses natural. Well, she's she's collected bark, and seeds and flowers and then dye them with different mordants. And she has a display of all the different colors mm-hmm. from one kind of plant, from one kind of flower. Depending on the mordant she uses, it can come out a different shade of yellow or tan. And then she sits there and she spins on her spinning wheel the wool from her sheep that she's dyed with yeah. <laughs> with the flowers. And uh, PSO has a tent there, Native Plant Society. Local one. Yeah, Native Plant Society has a tent mm-hmm. there. And um, and we have uh, book sales for people looking for books for um, help identifying the wildflowers. There's a wide variety of books. They have mm-hmm. things, uh, little quick guides, a uh, flip-open page that helps you identify certain kinds of they're flowers. They're laminated, so yeah. they're waterproof. Right, and... Uh, there's things for children. There's coloring books, and then there's some historical mm-hmm. kind of stuff, Lewis and Clark kind of stories. You also have native plant sale. There is a native mm-hmm. plant sale. Uh, Elkton Community Education Center uh, provides the plants, and they're there. They have not only plants, but they have seeds from the native plants. They have native grass seeds? I'd love to get some native grass seeds. I don't know what kind of seeds they have. I don't know if it would be... I would assume you can get grass. Well, people will just have to come and see. They, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. And one of the best things that you have there is pies. Oh, pies. gosh, the pies are incredible. That's an old tradition. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. when Reggie started the show, there were pies. And we put out the call... It, Went out about four days ago on Facebook. Now, all pie makers in the area, please think about this. So they're rounding up pies or orders for people to make pies. So there will be a lot of homemade pies. 
which I imagine helps cover your expenses. The pie sale is really part of the kitchen, and that's put on by the Glide Community Club. All proceeds from the kitchen end up going towards scholarships for Glide High School seniors graduating. So it's very worthwhile cost. For our 50th, thinking of the pies, for our 50th celebration, um, the year before, OPB had come down and, and filmed the whole process, starting with collecting and setting up. And so the year of the 50th anniversary, that program aired in October, and then they aired it, re-aired it in April. We normally probably get um, 1,100 people per year. That two-day period, we had 1,800. The women had made, they had, on Saturday, starting Saturday, they had 90 pies. At the end of the day on Saturday, several of them went home and made more pies because they were out. I mean, it was... (laughs) Was it was that crazy. that was on Oregon Field Guide? It wasn't, was, wasn't uh-huh. it? Yes, mm-hmm. and people can still, if they have like a streaming device, they can go back and they can watch that. Right. I should put a link to that show on the podcast mm-hmm. description down below. Last year there was a. I was standing outside um, one of the talks, and a lady walked up to me and she said, oh, "I just love your show. I'm so glad we came." And then she looked at me and she said, oh, and "I said, well, where are you from?" Well, they were visiting from out of town, and then she looked at me and she said, well, you're one of the collectors. And I said, I am, but how would you know that? And she said, well, I saw it on our um, PBS station in Louisiana. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Louisiana. Yes. And I said, you did? And she said, yeah, that's how I come I knew who you were, because you were on TV. Wow. Was she from Louisiana? She was. Yeah. Well, you know, you deserve it because it is a fantastic, fabulous show. You don't see anywhere else in Oregon. No. It is a wonderful show. Or in the Pacific Northwest. It is the best. Now, you know, every every year I notice that your poster is a little different. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful posters for the Glide Wildflower Show. I was in my doctor's office for my annual checkup the other day, and there it was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Each year we try to recruit an artist to do a poster for us. Sometimes we have repeat artists. This year's poster is by David Hall, and we have a number of previous posters that David has done. But uh, it it's one of the big things with the Wildflower Show. I'm hoping that the newspaper will put an article out about the art of the Wildflower Show. We have the posters, and I don't know if you've seen the Glide Wildflower Show storage building. It's on the property of the community club, but it was painted by Ginger Up to Grave, and it's these gorgeous dogwood branches. Well, I hope to see it. It's in the near the parking lot where we'll, it, we'll right. parking, you will you right? will see it. It's right next to the annex where the talks are. Right. Yeah. And those posters, by the way, um, are for sale at the show at the book store, and you can also buy posters from previous years that are available. 
Nice. Very nice. Now, I know we've talked a lot about the plants in the show, but I really wanted to ask you, what are some of the more unusual plants that you have in the show? What do you think is your most unusual plant that is kind of unusual? It would it would be from the perspective of the viewer. The children, when they come on Monday, there are two plants they love. Skunk cabbage. Mm-hmm. They just think it's great. Yeah, too. And the Darlingtonia, mm-hmm. it's a carnivorous plant, so it eats things, and you know how kids are about that kind of thing. So they love those two. So you have a Darlingtonia in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was collected in Douglas County. I don't know where it was collected, oh. but well, it's it in a pot. Illinois uh, Valley. It's oh, planted. But, but right. somebody now plant. brings it. Right. right. So every year they bring the potted plant. And it was one of those plants that we had not had until the year that we had the 723. Right. And then all of a sudden, because it was, it had never been in bloom. And we want them to be in bloom so you can see what the blooms are. And it was, I mean, everyone was amazed at that because we'd, we hadn't had it for a long time. Not, the, not in the entire time I'd been there. After that show, when the Darlingtonia first appeared, I think the following year that was the poster flower. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. So it impressed the artists, right? <laughs> so you mentioned the students. What, when do the students come? What What is it that the students do? They come on Monday. Um, years ago, long before my time, uh, they used to have a student day that the students came from Sutherland, Roseburg, as well as Glide. Um, and in the last several years, they have had kindergarten through fourth grade. This year, we are having second, third, and fourth? Third, first, fourth. first, third, and fourth? I think it's first, third, okay. and fourth. Um, and they will come for an hour. They, there's four different stations that they, maybe it's three now visit um, but they, they see the specimens they listen to Ren and they have an art project they listen to who? Ren, Ren Davidson who does the medicinal plants that's great and what grade level comes? Uh, this year it's first grade third grade and fourth grade oh wow so when we get there um, it sounds like it's a lot to do all the different uh you don't call them booths, but you have the big tent. Mm-hmm. There's talks. Mm-hmm. There's hikes, and then there's the show itself to walk around. Mm-hmm. How long should people allow themselves to be there? What's a good amount of time that people should leave for the show? Well, I would suggest first of all going to the website and looking at the uh, the talks that are going to be given and other things that they might be interested in, and then plan their day around that. But you could stay all day. Yes. Come. Come for the the show. Go for the hike. Come back for the talks. Eat, eat lunch, some pie. Eat some pie. <laughs> and you would hate to come on Saturday and realize, God, the Sunday talk is something I really like. So it it does. But there help. are people that come Saturday and Sunday. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, it does help if you know what's happening right. on which day. And we have hotels here. People can if they're coming from a ways, they can stay. Overnight and mention that mention that they're staying. They're coming for the Glide Wildflower Show and, and you get a discount. Get a discount. Hannah Ham, Hannah, 
Hampton, Hampton Inn and, and uh, Holiday, Holiday Inn, Inn Express. Express are both giving discounts. They're offering yeah. a discount for just mention the Glide Wildflower Show. And the Holiday Inn is giving a discount and if so you mention the Glide Wildflower Show and the other one? Hampton Inn. Hampton Inn. Just one. for that weekend, though. It's not like you could come now <laughs> and get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's also a Airbnb, Kevin's. I don't remember the name right now. But okay. if, you go to the, if, you, sure. if you go to the website, frequently asked questions about lodging, it will show you. a lot of information you. on the website. Yeah. Now, uh, walking around in the show all day there, I imagine that it would be chilly. I imagine you keep that room cool. Yes, we do, because it's all about the plants. It's all about the plants. Yes. So people have to put on a coat. They should. Mm-hmm. And sometimes during the week, because it's all about the plants, not all are their coats were layered and gloved and... It's also a handicapped accessible building. There is a ramp. Okay, good. Good. And so I mentioned the plants that I have that I'm thrilled to see come up every spring on my place, but there's a few I don't know what they are. Now, I imagine if I take a picture of a plant, that there must be botanists. There must be a ton of botanists there. We have roving botanists. That would help you identify it. So people mm-hmm. can bring in their plants they want to have identified. They it can. might be a good opportunity. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you could also compare your picture with what we have on the table. If you see something, oh, I know I have that at home, take a picture of it at the show and bring it home and identify your own flowers. Before I got involved in it, the first year I went to the show after we had our place on the river... I had drawn little sketches, and I said to myself, and wrote down, looks like a lilac, or it looks like, you know, I, I put down what, it, what I would identify it as not knowing what it was, but it looked like, mm-hmm. and then I took it to the show and found out, oh, it's ocean breeze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're all doing such hard work. How many volunteers do you have all together? I want to say we have over 300. I used to say 200, but I think it's was, more Yeah, more at than least that. 200 yeah. people right. involved. And that includes the collectors. It includes everybody mm-hmm. that's involved. We have a volunteer list so that we can... Um, and if people want to help next year, there's a sign-up sheet. In fact, this year there was a young woman who had written down she wanted to help, and I called to see if she could be a greeter. Yep, she wanted to be a greeter, so if you want to help be involved, we will find a place to help you be involved. And don't think that you have to be a botanist mm-hmm. to volunteer. Right. There are so many different jobs. I mean, from pushing a mop to washing vases. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. To setting up chairs and tables and the tent and everything. And so. taking it all back down. Right. And cleaning up. <laughs> Well, it sounds like such an important community event. You know, I would hope lots of people, I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that you have hundreds of volunteers. And that, but you can always use more. Always. always. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what else should we know about the Glide Wildflower Show? If it's raining, bring rain, rain gear. The walk will happen, rain or shine. Yes. And that walk is at 11 a.m., I have a little schedule here mm-hmm. 
that I will put on the website, but I'll go over it real quick. Or maybe you'd like to go over it real quick. Well, starting at 8 to 9 a.m., we have the photographer's hour, and anybody can take pictures all day, anytime. But that time in the morning is very fresh, and there's just recently sprayed, and there's not crowds. We have a noxious weeds booth that's there all the time. At 9.30, take a closer look at the wildflower show. We have a roving botanist that will sort of give a, an, a very informal tour and go through the families. Uh, and so what time is that? That's at 9.30. And at 9.30, there's actually a botanist you mm-hmm. can follow around mm-hmm. who will go around he, the show. He, he talks about the plants. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, at 10.30, these, uh, there's the new Oregon Flora website. Mm-hmm. At 11 o'clock, there's the guided wildflower walk. That's the one that you are taking people on the North Umpqua River? The North Umpqua Trail. Right. Mm-hmm. At 12 o'clock, rare and unusual plants of the Umpqua National Forest. And that will be given by a botanist? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Richard Hallowell. Richard, okay. At 1.30, gardening for the pollinators. And at 3 o'clock, the medicinal and edible plant use. Okay. And then Sunday, we have the same photographer's hour at 8, 8 to 9 in the morning. And, then of course, all day, there's the noxious weed booth. Uh, 11 a.m., the guided wildflower walk again. 12 o'clock, the new Oregon Flora website. 2 o'clock, Rare and Unusual Plants of the Umpqua National Forest. And is that, will Richard be giving a talk on that? Same one. Same Same one. one. Mm -hmm. And at 3 o'clock, again, the medicinal and edible plants. And who presents medicinal plants? Ren Davidson. Ren Davidson, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, that schedule will be on the description in the podcast below. And tell our listeners again when and where it is. April 27th and 28th at the Glide Community Center in Down, Glide, Oregon. In downtown, downtown Glide. Glide. Right on Highway 138. You can't miss it. There's big banners and all. They're yellow. You can't miss it. Like bright Debbie yellow. Said. Look for the bright yellow signs. Yes. You'll, it'll lead you there. And, and a lot of traffic. And it's before you cross the bridge on the North Umpqua River. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Just before you cross that bridge on yep. the North Umpqua River. It's mm-hmm. on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank for you. You're welcome. talking with us. It has been fun. Uh, we have been uh, talking with, and, and tell us your names again. Debbie Barbary. Diane Muscarello. Becky McCray. And Becky McRae, well, thank you so much for coming from the Glide Wildflower Show Committee and telling us all about it. Uh, This is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Frances Etherington, and we will be back in two weeks. Thanks, Frances. Thank you. Thank you.